scripture this morning is from Romans 4, verses 1 through 12. What then shall we say was gained by Abraham, our forefather, according to the flesh? For if Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about, but not before God. For what does the scripture say? Adam believed God and was counted to him as righteousness. Now to the one who works, his wages are not counted as a gift, but his due. And to the one who does not work, but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted as righteousness, just as David also speaks of the blessing of the one to whom God counts righteousness apart from works. Blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord will not count his sin. Is this blessing then only for the circumcised or for the uncircumcised? For we say that faith was counted to Abraham as righteousness. How then was it counted to him? Was it before or after he was circumcised? It was not after, but before he was circumcised. He received the sign of circumcision as a seal of the righteousness that he had by faith while he was still uncircumcised. The purpose was to make him the father of all who believe without being circumcised, so that righteousness would be counted to them as well. And to make him the father of the circumcised, who are not merely circumcised by who also walks in the footsteps of faith that our father Abraham had before he was circumcised. May God add his blessing to the reading of his word. So today, today we start an entire new sermon series called The Justified. And uh, the message today is actually called by the same title, Justified, which you guys have all memorized, you know, because you've read the Daily Walk, you've listened to the Daily Walk podcast, you've read the scripture, you've probably memorized the scripture that Vern just read to us right now, you've read it in all the different translations, you've read it in Greek secretly, you know exactly what it all means, and so you're kind of just ready and raring to go inside here. But I'm kind of excited about this, and, and I see there's a lot of new faces here as well, not new people are visiting today, which is great to see you, and welcome to Boulder Church today. So I just want to let you know where we are and how this series Justified appears here so you're not kind of lost midstream of where everything's going inside here. We are in part three of five. Hmm? Is that good? Part three of five. I actually did this and I realized I hadn't done three, so I thought it was weird. Part three of five, I can count. I'm very good at this. But part three of five, and this is the series that we're in Justified right now because we're going through the book of Romans we are going to stop at Romans chapter 8. We're not going to go through the whole book of Romans. We're going to stop at Romans chapter 8. Uh, but in, just in case you, you didn't pick this up, I'm going to give you this. If you forget everything, I'm going to give you a summary of how Romans chapter 4, 1 to 4, is actually covered. So just you may want to write this down in your notes, write this down inside uh, your worship guide as well. It's just a quick summary, one sentence, maybe even in your Bible or inside, inside your phone. Chapters 1 to 4 is this. God shows us through the writings of Paul that he is faithful. That's all the first four chapters do. Paul wants to write this down. He, he spends all the time in the first four chapters. I'm letting you know God is faithful. 
In chapters 5 to 8, which we're going to go next after this, Paul reminds us that God, because he is faithful, there's a new life. And with this new life, there's a new way to live. And, and if we do this, we can live inside Jesus, and it's amazing. So if you've got to imagine that we are now reaching, in chapter 4, which we start today, we're at this kind of mountain, and we're going to climb this mountain. I mean, not literally, because that'd be really painful. <laughs> I mean, I'm not in favor of climbing any mountains. I mean, I think you guys climb mountains, and I'm very proud of you. Uh, Every time you take a photo on Instagram, I'm like, whoa, so nice, thank you. I don't have to climb that one. Um, <laughs> I, I can just uh, copy that, retweet that, and say, that was nice. And so I, I love it, I love it, that's great. So mountains, absolutely. We are climbing this mountain, we get into this adventure, and it's an incredible adrenaline rush as we reach the top there. So when we get to chapter four, we're practically there. Are you ready for this spiritual mountain? This, this incredible, incre incredible journey of a spiritual mountain. Or, or maybe we, we have a, a literal mountain presented before us. Yeah, yeah, this is, uh, this is called the, uh, which mountain is this? What, what, what mountain is this one? Pike's Peak. All right, all right, very good. I like the fact that Luke whispered that to me. Um, because he wanted to make sure nobody heard it. Uh, but that's good. Thank you, Luke. That's really good. This is Pike's Peak. All right. So this is, uh, this is the mountain. Can you guys all see this? Can you guys see that over there? Am I in the way? Dean, I wasn't in the way. All right. I'll go back then. All right. Sorry. All right. Good. So this is Pike's Peak. Maybe you guys, uh, that's good. What's that? Um, let's push that all the way down on the other side of the mountain because you haven't reached there yet. So, oh, my goodness me. Well, we'll work on this. All right. So. This is the mountain, and this is chapters one to four of Romans, all right? And so we're going to get to chapter four in a second. I'm just going to give you a quick summary so you're kind of you're ready to understand the incredible leap of where we actually are here. And, and just so you know this, these guys, I told them to come here at seven o'clock this morning, and, uh, and then I gave them the manuscript and said, help me. And so uh, here they are. Uh, very good, very good, impressive. Uh, very good mountain, um, very authentic uh, very jagged. Um, that's good. Uh, okay, so here we go. This is the mountain. They're in chapter one. And uh, as you know, we did a whole series called, it was named called. And uh, this is where Paul tells us about King David. And he says that Jesus is the Messiah. And he says so much more. And so he's just down there at the bottom. And this is us, by the way. That little sock, that little puppet, that's us. We're just beginning chapter one, and we're just beginning this journey, and it's really exciting. When you read chapter one of Romans, you're thinking, oh, what's he talking about? Blah, blah, blah. You actually realize he's launching you on this incredible epic journey to reach the top of this Pikes Peak. Can you drive that one? I like this mountain. All right, all right, so <laughs> this is a great mountain. So he's there, and good choice. That was good. It's like, it's like Luke knew me. I'm like, this is good. So he's there on chapter one. I'm really excited about this. And then as we're going, we, we went through a whole sermon series called The Judged. And we traveled up the mountain and we went to chapter two. And it was still good. It was still a good journey. We're still traveling up there because we learned that it wasn't about privilege. It wasn't about title. I mean, does that puppet look like it's got any privilege? No. Oh, yes. Uh, no privilege, no title. <laughs> 
nothing about religion because it actually realizes that God is the one who gives you all of that and is breaking all the barriers. But this week, we start chapter four. So it reaches all the way to chapter four. And as it runs, runs all the way up here, it reaches all the way to the top of chapter four. It's the peak of this mountain. And then, and then it realizes that as it reaches the peak of the mountain, it's just, it's the most amazing. And this is where we begin today. We're in chapter four. We're gonna begin the peak of this mountain. It's gonna leap from this mountain to chapter five, which is another, where's the other mountain? All right, hey, this is what we're gonna do. Uh, focus your eyes over there. And uh, go, do your stuff. That's good, good, a little bit of music. Excellent. All right, good. All right, good, good, good. All right, that's good. Cue. So, uh, and then it jumps from mountain four, right? Romans chapter four, and it lands on Romans chapter five. And I'm glad you didn't look anywhere else. You just saw there was another mountain right there, right? So this is good. And on Romans chapter five, he is on this other peak. He's so excited about this peak. And it travels on Romans chapter five, and it's on this journey. He puts on some skis. Where are the skis? Oh, well, I like the skis. <laughs> Very creative. I was really hoping for some real skis, but that's good. Right, so puts on some skis, and he starts on chapter six, and starts to ski down the mountain at this Olympic race. It's just traveling down this mountain. Olympic race. Yeah, it's kind of dangerous. And then it gets to chapter seven and it starts to meet its other side and it's in this battle and, and meets its other side and they're in this battle with this other person which is themselves, right? Whereas, is there another person there? I don't really see the other person. Do you see the other person? I think, I think Carlos is stuck behind the music stand. They, there you go, yeah. So they are battling, clearly with the mountain. Uh, I was really hoping they were battling with each other and... Uh, this is what chapter seven's about. They're battling each other, and they're just like, there's no way, because they fall all the way to the bottom of the mountain. And then I realized that actually we, we, we face a, a huge precipice and a huge wall, which we forgot to build. And so let's just imagine that there's this wall. Let's create a wall, shall we? On the fly, should we create a wall? Let's take the mountain and make it a wall. There you go, there's a wall. And, and then they have to overcome this wall, but it's such a difficult thing to overcome this wall. And that's what Romans chapter eight is all about because by their own strength, they can't do this. And Romans chapter eight tells us that it's only by God. For I am sure that neither death nor life nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else, all creation will be able to separate us from the love of Christ, Jesus Christ our Lord, and that's what makes him climb the mountain. And it's by the Spirit of God that we reach that other peak, and then we are complete. And this is what Paul is taking us through on Romans 1 through 2, 8. Thank you so much, all right. All right, you guys did well. Whew. Steady, that mountain's too close to me, all right. So, I want you to have this big picture, uh, and I don't even get to preach the final sermon on Romans chapter eight. Pastor Jessica gets to preach that sermon. I'm so jealous. It is a great, great passage of scripture, but uh, it is phenomenal because as Paul, as you see this, Paul is on this journey with you, right? He's drawing you through this journey where he's saying, look, I, I, I'm taking this moment here. I want you to understand there's a struggle. I'm gonna expand the struggle, but eventually, Eventually you'll understand you will overcome it all and it's by the power of the Spirit that you will overcome it all. Even the struggle what you have to obey God, to obey the Lord that God has called you to, God will give you the strength to be able to do that. 
But before you get there, before you get there, you have to understand that to climb this mountain, to overcome this mountain, you have to get to the space where there was some difficulty to get to chapter four. So two weeks ago, two weeks ago, Pastor Jessica was preaching here and she shared about chapter three. And do you remember the passages that she was, she was kind of like, she made this funny face and she was, oh, it was disgusting. She said, oh my goodness, their throat is an open grave. They use their tongues to deceive. The venom of asps is under their lips. Do you remember when she was preaching this? If you haven't, you need to just watch the sermon in that section and make a little video where you just replay that little section over and over again. Because it was like she was actually like putting that asp there inside. It was just horrible because it's true. Paul is saying it is just absolutely tragic. He wants to tell you that in fact, where you are, there is no hope whatsoever. He's leveling the ground for you. He needs you to know that God though, has you, even though this is so bad inside there. And you can climb, and it may be really hard and perilous, this mountain, but you can climb because God has you through all of this stuff. And he says this because he wants you to understand that we do indeed have a good, good father. This idea of a good, good father, this faithful God, is gonna be all the way through Romans one to four, it's gonna go all the way through Romans five to eight, it's all the way through because this is what Paul discovered. For all of his life, he was scared of God. And then he discovers God again. He's like, I need to tell people he is a good, good father. Then Elijah, last week, was sharing last Sabbath about the solution, that there is hope and is found on this mercy seat of God and we are justified by grace. And he unpacked it with his stories. And I don't believe that he told the true story about the car, but I understand what he meant about it. I understand what he was trying to do about it. So I extend some grace to Elijah. It's okay, it's okay. You can go listen to the sermon and try to understand and decipher what I mean by that. But Inside the grace, God says, I extend, I justify you, I make you right. I'm the one who takes that, the disgusting asp, the, the, the venomous stuff, and I am the one who makes you right because we have a good, good father. But Paul knows his people, and Paul knows us today, that we have too many reasons as people to say no to God. I can't see God, I can't trust God, I don't know God, in fact, I make my own God. It's what we like, and that's why we make human religions, it's especially religions that we like to control, especially religions that like to say, you know what, you're great. <laughs> Nothing needs to change, just stay as you are. I'll just cuddle you and hold you, you can be perfectly fine. You don't need to shift, you don't need to grow, nothing needs to be challenged. There's no mountain to actually grow through, there's no struggle inside this, you just need to stay as you are. Paul nips this in the bud, and he does this by grabbing hold of two main characters. And he says, I'm gonna take hold of these two characters, I'm gonna use these characters to demonstrate to you the most amazing truth that I can to prove to you that in fact, you do need change, that God wants to change this. And if you don't understand these characters, then you don't understand how we have twisted religion up. So, question number one, this is where you need your worship guide. If you open up your worship guide to the very first page there, you'll have the recalibrate questions. And this is question number one. Which biblical characters would you have selected to convince your close friends that God is faithful? Which Biblical characters would you have selected to convince your close friends that God is faithful? I mean, Paul chose Abraham and David, right? That's who he chose in these chapters, chapter four. He chooses these two characters, but who would you choose? Listen, if I was to choose uh, a place in the Bible uh, to speak into my life, I mean, we could choose 
personal people. And there's nothing wrong with choosing people that we actually resonate with. I mean, some of us would say, well, I would have chosen Mary, or I may have chosen Noah, or I may have chosen Samson, because I just like to spend a lot of time in wine presses. I don't know. There would be all sorts of issues that we'd have to address, right? So this is stuff that we would do, and this is the characters that we wouldn't actually talk to. Each of these characters, Mary, Noah, Samson, anyone that you would choose, they all lend themselves to help you to understand a little bit about your own journey with God. But Paul didn't choose Abraham and David just to talk about your personal journey with God. Paul chose Abraham and David because he says there's something rich about both of them, but there's something more about Abraham and David that's deeper inside the promises of who they are. And these promises that he gave to Abraham and David extend to the whole planet. So we, when we read the Bible, I don't know if you do this, but when you read the Bible, you often read the Bible to be able to discover things that the Bible will teach you about yourself. What will the Bible teach me about who I should marry, uh, what career I should do, uh, how I know the will of God for my life. It's all about me. It's kind of like the holy book about me instead of actually the holy book about God and what God is saying about the universe and about the world. And when you kind of look at the book and say, maybe the book is actually about God and not about me, and I'm actually just part of God's bigger picture, you start to read it and say, maybe there's stuff inside here that I could learn that teaches me about the character of God that actually I'm part of this journey inside here. So when you read Romans chapter 4, I would suggest that you have to read it through the eyes of Genesis chapter 15. When you read it through the eyes of Genesis 15, you actually start to see Romans chapter four with the big picture of God. This is a, what I would refer to as a technic moment. If you don't know what technic means, then uh, I will spend some long time, about maybe half an hour, explaining the difference between Duplo and technic, but you don't need to. You can just go to boulder.church forward slash Bible. Boulder.church forward slash Bible, and you can read all about the difference between technic and Duplo. God is faithful. We have a good good father. So let me explain this to you and let me expand this a little bit. Let's turn in our Bibles to Romans chapter 4. If you have your Bibles in the pew, you can pull them out. Uh, page 1042. Page 1042. It's Romans chapter 4, verse 3. In your pew Bibles, that's page 1042. And it's Romans chapter 4, verse 3. This is actually a really famous verse uh, and has a really interesting phrase inside here. And I want to read this to you, and I want you to see it in your Bible. You can mark in these Bibles. Remember, you can take these Bibles home if you want. If you haven't got a Bible, you can mark inside them, take them home. And if you have your own Bible, then I encourage you to write this inside your own Bible as well. It says here in Romans chapter 4, verse 3, For what does the Scripture say? Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. It was counted to him as righteousness. Paul is quoting an idea from Genesis chapter 15. So when you rush over to Genesis chapter 15 and you start to read the story, you realize that, that Abraham's in the middle of a conversation with God. And it's not that he's Abraham yet. He's just Abram, right? He's just Abram. God hasn't made a covenant with him yet. So God promised Abram at this point. He said to him, Abram, I'm going to make you a father of many 
I'm gonna make you a great person. Come follow me into the promised land. I'm gonna show you how to become a great person, a leader of many. It's gonna be an amazing thing. So Abraham, Abraham at this time, he says, look, I brought my nephew Lot along with me. I thought maybe it was gonna be him. I'm not too sure, but, but, but he negotiates with God. He says to him in chapter 15, is it, is it Eliezer of Damascus? The reason is because Abram can't have any kids. He and his wife, Sarai, they can't have any kids. So he says to them, is it Eliezer of Damascus? And God says to him, no, I said to you, I'm gonna give you a son. It will be through you. You will have this. So he then takes him outside. He says, look outside. Imagine you're in Colorado, not in the Middle East, in Colorado, which was surprising to me when I came out to Colorado, how dark it is at nighttime. I really thought you guys had electricity here. But, but I was just like, no, no, you do. You just hide it. There's a rule, ordinances everywhere. All the light must face down and it must be dim. I'm like, oh, that's great. Well, it actually helps because then you look up and you're like, oh, wow, the stars. I remember the very first time I saw stars. I know you're kind of like, what? He saw stars? Yes, I did. I traveled out to Southwest England. Uh, I was in London. I traveled to Southwest England and I was like, oh my goodness, there's stars and they're in the sky. I thought they were in books only. That's amazing, I can see them with my naked eye. Because in London, obviously, you, you don't see it because we, we actually do use the electricity. And so uh, I was just like, I was kind of like shocked about the stars. So here he is, out in the Middle East, he's looking up and God says to him, you see all these stars? This, you're gonna have this and more. I'm gonna make it grow, I mean, it's gonna come through you. And he's kind of overwhelmed by this. He's just like, this? God promises Abraham this? This is where he hears the words, the very first time in Genesis 15, and he believed the Lord and it counted it to him as righteousness. This is the first time the phrase comes up. We don't actually hear about this phrase until this point here. There's only one other time in the whole First Testament where this phrase, and it counted to him as righteousness. It appears in Psalms 106. Psalms 106. And Psalms 106 was actually quoted by Paul in Romans chapter one already. So Paul likes a harm, Psalms 106. He's constantly talking about this Psalms all the time. He quotes it again here and he says, listen, there's a famous story. There's a story of Phineas. And in this particular story, Psalms kind of like colors it a little bit. It's pretty gruesome though. You know, it's not a bedtime story for your kids. Uh, but basically, side note, takes a spear, puts it through, <clears throat> and they die. All right, so there you go. Uh, at the end of this story, <laughs> though, uh, Phineas gets this promise given to him where a promise is made to him that he will be a priesthood forever. A covenant is made to him, and it says it is counted for him forever. So then you realize that every time the phrase counted comes up, a covenant is made up. And you're thinking, Pastor Javid, what is all this about? When are we gonna to get to the mountain? I thought you said this was gonna be exciting. This is so boring, I don't understand. I'm kinda of like zoned out, it's so hot in the sanctuary. How am I gonna cope with this? When are we gonna to get to that mountain? I want to get to the top of the mountain. Steady, I'm gonna get there. <laughs> when you understand that Abraham began a covenant with God before he understood anything, when you understand that God counted him righteous before he was circumcised, when you understand that God said to him, you know, this faith that you have, this trust that you have in me, then you start to understand that we have a God who is faithful and he is a good, good God. 
This is what Paul picks up in Romans chapter four, verse five. He even starts to say, two verses later, he says, listen, that's why Abraham, he has an ungodly family. Well, no, he's saying that everybody's included inside there. That's what Dina was saying in the kid's life story today, that everybody's welcome. When we all play together, we're all welcome. For some reason, we tend to separate, but if we could actually learn to play together, we would be better. So it's his trust and his faith in a faithful God allows God to make this covenant with him. Then Paul draws on David, as he does, and he does. He pulls on him and says, well, I mentioned Abraham because he's the father of the, of the people. I gotta mention David because he's the Messiah, the line of the Messiah. And on top of that, he quotes Psalms because that's his Bible, and he says to him, he's forgiven. So with a covenant comes forgiveness. When I make you justified, I forgive you as well. There's this glory, this beautiful moment where God says, I actually bring everything together. Paul throws all this together, which brings us to question number two this morning. And this is actually the difficult question. Question number two. Looking inside your worship guide again. This is question number two. Jesus' free gift to us is justification. That is, we're declared right, not by anything we've done. That's where we were in the mountain. That's what uh, Pastor Eliab was talking about last week, where he was talking about how we rise up here, we receive this gift that Pastor Jessica had mentioned before, and Pastor Eliab then mentioned that we receive this gift, we're justified by grace, and then he says, but because you've received this, because you're part of this thing inside here, you receive this gift, we've done this. Why do we struggle to accept this gift? If the gift is free, if you receive the gift, why do we struggle to even receive this gift? Is it not really easy? My wife Becky and I were talking about this a lot lately and why some people are inclined to accept the gift and some are not. We argue about this a lot uh, and it's, it's good. It's, you know, she's going to lose eventually. Not on the podcast though. On the podcast, I lose all the time. <sighs> but we were, we were talking about this and we were just wondering because she, she, makes, she makes some good points occasionally uh, you know, about, about how difficult it is, how some people just gravitate to God and some people don't gravitate to God. And what's the difference? And we were joking about this, say, well, maybe it's a love language, you know? How some people, you know, have touches their love language and some people have gifts as their love language. And so, ah, oh, if gift is my number one love language, well, then when I receive the gift of salvation, I'm like, yeah. But if it's not my love language, I'm like, eh, who cares? <laughs> I don't like gifts, so I don't need anything from God, right? Could it be that? No, I don't think it is, my friends. I think there's something far deeper going on that stops us from rising to the top of the mountain. And I want you to think about this. God loves us, right? Because he's a good, good father. And even though everyone has sinned and everyone has a tendency to sin, we belong to the family of God for free because he's a good, good father. And today, we know that if we repent and we confess, that God will forgive us because he's a good, good father. We get to celebrate this. We get to confess this. We get to celebrate this. We even get to say, I want to belong to this family. And publicly, we get to say, I actually want to confess this to my family and friends and get baptized. And next week, Luke's going to get baptized here at church. And so that's beautiful. We get to celebrate that and we'll celebrate that here as well. Life gets changed because we belong to God forever. I don't think that it's the free gift that us accepting it is the problem. I think the reason we hesitate, I think the reason we push back, I think the reason we resist 
is that because if we admit that we have a good, good father, that is, if we admit that we know that God is good, we're going to have to admit that he's going to change us. We're going to have to admit that transformation is going to take place. And, and nobody really wants to change too much. We want incremental changes. But God says, man, the Spirit of God can transform the way we are. And, but the problem is we have so many ideas what it means that it kind of scares us. And we imagine changes that are not real. I have lost count of how many conversations I've had with people who find church awkward, or church services awkward, or people who struggle with their marriages or their relationships, or people who don't know which career they're going to choose, or people who don't know which major they're going to do at university, or people who just don't know how to make their faith grow. I've lost count of the conversations I have. And you know, they all revolve around fear, imaginary fear about things that don't actually exist, that they have just created out of nothing. Church services. Two weeks ago, I went to Nadia Boltz-Weber. She's the Lutheran pastor uh, down in Denver. Um, and she was preaching her very last sermon before she left this church. She's been there for 10 years. She's created a community down there, and so a, f- a couple of friends of mine were, were attending the church and invited me to come, so I went to listen to her very final sermon. Never been to this Lutheran Episcopalian church. It's a mixture of all sorts of things. So I'm walking in, and a uh, very friendly church. But as a stranger walking in, uh, and not used to any of the faith tradition, not used to any of the liturgy, that's the order of service or how things go, I felt like Mr. Bean. Do you know who Mr. Bean is? Some of you do. Now I know your age. All right. So Mr. Bean, there's this little video he did about 4,000 years ago where he goes to church, and he doesn't know whether he's standing up, sitting down. He doesn't know what's going on inside church. It's just an awkward moment. I felt like that in this service. I felt like I don't know what's going on. I don't know whether I should stand up, sit down. I, I, I was just like analyzing everything. I thought this is just really weird. I, I just don't know what's going on at all. And I could have just accepted the gift of the service, but no, no, no. It, it just The microphones didn't work. The service wasn't printed in order. I mean, there were no lyrics on the screens because the screen was just on. I mean, they're speaking and the mic's off. I'm like, why'd you have a microphone like out here? I mean, I, all these things created anxiety, right? Or I could have just said, it's not my service. I could have just said, you know what? They're smiling and uh, they're singing with a spirit of honesty, and uh, they're praying in unison, and they are hugging each other, and they love God, and they're worshiping. And maybe it's my, my stuff that I have. Maybe it's my, my view that I have. Maybe it's my fears that I have. Maybe it's my ideas that I have. Maybe it's my imagination of what I think it should be that I wanted them to be. And if I let that all go, which I decided to do about halfway through the service because it's driving me insane, (laughs) I actually enjoyed it. It was beautiful. It was a spirit-led service. It was wonderful. I got to like just soak it in. And I just said, ah, it's a gift. I could accept it. What if we did that, my friends, with our marriages? Instead of just imagining what our marriages should be like. We actually just enjoyed our marriages. (laughs) Radical idea, I know. 
What if instead of trying to make our marriage like somebody else's marriage, which is kind of creepy, <laughs> I wish. In fact, actually, Becky said something on the podcast, which is really awkward, um, <laughs> often. Uh, and <laughs> and I, think it was, I think the sentence was, oh, I think you want someone else. Mm, yeah, so I, we discussed that as well. And so, uh, so what, what if, what if, you know, uh, we, we say things and we just didn't do this kind of stuff and we just said, we just said, let's just be satisfied with what we have and let's just say, let's let create this. What if we looked at our careers and just said, God, let me, let me be satisfied with what I have and let me enjoy what I have in this moment. What if we looked at our college and just said, let me enjoy the classes I'm in and learn all I can inside the moment I'm in. I mean, it would change the way we perceive things. Somehow, though, I think that we're constantly trying to reinvent the will and change everything. And we do this when it comes to accepting the gift of salvation from God. We resist God because we're like, oh, if I, res- if I accept God, I'm going to become a follower of Jesus Christ. Then I'm going to get baptized. Oh, what's that going to look like? I don't know. I've got a picture of what it looks like. I don't know if I like that. I'm like, have you even talked to anyone about it? Do you even know what it's like? And then I'm going to join a community. I'll be- join this church in Boulder. I'll become Seventh-day Adventist. And you Google Seventh-day Adventist, you're like, ooh. I don't know. That's kind of weird. And you're on the wrong website. And then you're like, move, new browser, define it, create it, you can do this. Follow the word of God. Be faithful to what God has called you to. Don't allow other people with the thousands of years of baggage to be able to do that. I think the problem is, is that we, we allow so much to shape us inside there. And it creates dissatisfaction and anxiety all the time. We're battling this. Paul's doing this all the way through chapter four. He's saying, man, you have so much baggage and so much problems with the way you understand God, but he is a good, good God. Oh, if only you saw him the way that I saw him. If you understood the way that I understand him, you would understand that he is just pulling up this mountain. And when you leap to chapter five, oh, the journey, you'll be able to cope with life. The spirit will take you through it. It will redefine your relationship with God because he is so good. I sat down with Becky Carlisle last Friday. And um, this is before she really decided to decline and uh, it's before I flew away, I, I went to London last weekend to visit my parents. So it's Friday, just before I went to the airport, I was at a home. And uh, she was very lucid, very sharp, very sharp. <laughs> and, uh, and Becky said to me, said, you know, I, uh, I stuck with you. I said, yeah, I know you did. She said, I stuck with you when other people left. I stayed with you. I said, Becky, I know you did. I know other people walked away and you stayed with me because together we shaped this church. And I thanked her for that and we laughed, we kissed, we prayed, we giggled. We had a lot of fun. We had a good time together. We got to talk about life, about church, about what God has called us to. And she was right with God. The difficulty is that not everybody gets to see that side of Becky. I'm going to be real candid here. Not everybody gets to see that side of Becky. What they get to see is the Becky who actually wants everything to be done right when it comes to music. 
They get to see the baton on the organ. Get that right. And they don't get to see the soft side of the person who weeps over hymns, weeps over songs, weeps over poetry, and sees all the beauty of life, right? And it made me realize a whole bunch of other things as well. I was uh, on the flight, I was thinking about uh, a movie that I just recently saw, The Darkest Hour with Winston Churchill. I don't know if you've seen that movie, but there's an interesting scene inside there when Winston Churchill um, uh, has a new administrative assistant and he, she is prepped before she goes in and the executive guy says, listen, he wants it double-spaced, Read it back to him, double spaced. And so she goes in, she's really nervous, really nervous. Winston Churchill kind of gets out of bed, blah, 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 the whole thing, and starts to do the stuff, and it's just out of control. And, uh, and then he asks her to give it to him. He, she rips it out, she gives it to him, and he's like, single spaced! <laughs> and he flips out, and she just starts to cry. If you've seen this movie, she starts to cry, and she walks out, she's like, I failed. She said, Did nobody tell you I wanted it double spaced? And you're thinking, seriously, Winston? Double space, single space, what was the big deal? But he's like, double space, who told you? And she walks out in absolute, you know, shock horror. His wife uh, comes in and talks to him later on, and she says, Winston, I wish people could see the softer side of you. You're going to lead this country. I wish people could see the softer side of you. And they need to know that you can take them. I went to see my parents. My parents are very private people and I know they're watching right now. So they're not, they're not gonna like what I'm gonna say, so you stop watching. <laughs> see no evil, heal no evil. Um, I went and saw my parents. My parents are very private people. Um, and, uh, and I used to be very, very private as well. And then uh, I switched flipped the switch and now I'm a little bit too open. Uh, <laughs> hence I'm vegan. <laughs> oh, repent of my ways, I shall. And uh, the reason I went to see my parents was to have this complicated conversation because while they have the capacity right now to make really healthy decisions, um, I wanted to talk about when they're not going to have the capacity to make healthy decisions, who's going to make those decisions for them and how are we going to do that. So I sent an email to my dad months ago uh, my mom had warned me before I arrived there, we're not going to discuss any of this stuff. I'm like, mm, I'll see about that. Uh, my brother had flown in and I'd flown in. And, uh, you know, the truth is that my brother and I, and my brother's name is Melchizedek. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I know. Whew. Yeah. My father named us, I think, based on the Sabbath school quarterly lesson. So if you don't know what that is, uh, that's, a, that's a little study guide for the Bible, um, and I think that particular quarter in 1976, when my brother was born, was the high priest Melchizedek, and lucky Mel, Mel, and so Mel and I, and uh, Mel and I. Testing, testing. Let that be a lesson to you about uh, ever ready. 
Duracell may be better. <laughs> um, my brother and I uh, are four years apart, and uh, I think sometimes I feel that we are further apart than four years. Does that make sense to you? I feel like we're not as close as we should be. And uh, this is 25 years now since the last time that my mom and my dad and myself and my brother have actually all been together without anyone else, just the four of us. So it was kind of a, a very special three days of us being together. And to have those conversations in those three days, uh, they were good and they were hard and they were difficult. And uh, I had perceptions of what I thought the conversation was going to go like and things that I wanted to say and things that I wanted them to say. And, and there were all sorts of quirks. I mean, I learned a whole bunch of things that I never knew about myself. I learned things about my parents that I never knew. Um, things that just like were bizarre to me, things that were just interesting and intriguing to me, things that just opened up my mind as to how I grew up and, uh, and how I understand myself better as well. My mom, uh, she wanted some stuff that she wanted us to go buy and, and she had this uh, very short shopping list. But every item, uh, not kidding, every item was bought in a different shop. I tried to explain to her that there are shops now that have everything inside the same place. It's technology, and they, they just, it's an aisle, and, uh, <laughs> no, I'm being, <laughs> being sarcastic. Um, but, but she's like, oh, you know, it's got to be this way. And my dad was like, you know, the walnuts, when you buy walnuts, they can't be brown, they're going to be a light color. I'm like, seriously, this is, oh my goodness, it's going to take us all three days to buy these four items. It's just like, it's just a, but you know, they've got a system, right? And it's, it's good for them, and they enjoy that. And I was, my brother and I were like walking around thinking, why did we just bought it all in the same place and didn't tell them? They'd know. <laughs> They'd know. So we, we, uh, we, faithfully, we faithfully did go to all the different places <laughs> and, and do that. But um, when, I, uh, when I kissed my dad goodbye, And I kissed him on the cheek on, I can still smell him, right? I can smell his cologne, his scent, and the roughness of the bristles on his cheek. When I hug my mom, my mom has this phrase that she always says, you know, whenever she sees my brother or myself, she'll always turn to her dad, to my, to my dad, and she'll always say, he's all mine. This one here, he's all mine, right? Because she's very proud of us, right? And when I hug my mom, she hugs us deeply, right? She holds us. And as I hug her and I kiss her and I can smell her, I'm like, love them. But there are things that I wish they would do that I can't get them to do. I wish my dad would go see a doctor. And my dad's like, I'm Brazilian, I'm a man. I know everything. I don't need a doctor. I have the internet. <laughs> and my mom's like, who needs a doctor? I have your dad. <laughs> he has the internet. <laughs> you know? But I wish, I wish they would. I wish they would, but they won't. So all I can do is I can just love them as they are and care for them in the way that they want to be cared for but I can learn more about who they are every single time when I connect with them, right? And they can learn more about who I am, and we can grow closer together. That's the best we can do, right? 
So the problem is that I don't spend enough time trying to get to know them. And they don't spend enough time trying to get to know me. All right? This is what we talked about. I get emails all the time from my mom. And I said to her, you, you send me stuff every week. She says, why is it that you always write an email back to me? And it just says, ha, or thanks, or cheers. Why didn't you ever write like an, a meaningful email to me? I'm like, you just sent me a Bible text. <laughs> tell me something about yourself, and I'll tell you something about myself. <laughs> and we discussed this. I mean, I'm telling you, it was a difficult three days. Uh, but it was a good three days because we realized that we are not the best at communicating how much we deeply love each other. Because I know they love me. My mom and dad, I can tell you stories forever about the sacrifices they've done and the way they love me in, in, forever. And I would do anything for them. We have to find ways, we have to find ways to love each other better. We have to find ways to remove all the baggage of what we think our relationship should be and create new ones. And when it comes to God, when it comes to God, you've got to start moving all the rubbish aside and say, God, I will follow you just who you are. I will follow you just who you are. Come on, Belial, let's, let's sing this song, I'm a good, good God, because he is a good, good father. He is a good, good father. And he calls us to this place. And I tell you why he calls us to this place. He wants us to sing of his name. He wants us to claim of his name. And the reason he wants us to claim of his name and to sing that he is a good, good father is because he says, I need you to just separate all that you ever imagined about yourself, everything that you've ever heard that's negative about me, and to give me the chance to reveal myself to you. When you do, you will get baptized, you will become a member, you will get involved, you will actually be engaged, you will share the gospel with others. You will actually look at your husband and your wife with new light. You will look at your community with new strength. You will rise above the conflicts of every single day with renewed strength. It doesn't happen because you just decide to do this. It happens because you start to reflect who God is because he's the one who changes you. So he's saying, come up the mountain, let me take you because he's faithful, but allow him to bring you up that mountain. That's my prayer and wish for you today.